This week, we are celebrating our two-year anniversary with a special episode. I am looking back over the last two years within the world of SEND with Sarah Jane Critchley from Different Joy Partnership. Sarah Jane was previously the program manager of the Autism Education Trust, where she commissioned the AET School Standards and Competency Frameworks. Welcome to the show, Sarah Jane. Hello, Dale, and hello, everybody. It's lovely to be here. I can't believe it's been two years. And what a two years it has been. We have so much to talk to you about this time. I'm really excited to do the rundown. It is. And the last two years have flown by. So our first episode went out a few weeks before lockdown. So we didn't know that was happening, but we sent it out. We did that. And a lot has happened over these last two years. Let's start with us. Let's talk about us rather than everything else. So we've released an episode every week during term time. And this is episode 87, which... It's phenomenal because I've sat here talking to amazing experts from probably like getting close to 100 hours. And I've learned so much. And in this time, we have had 70,000 listens, which is phenomenal. And just to be clear, it's not me attracting them, and it's all the amazing speakers bringing their tribes with them. We've received two awards. So one from Teach Primary for best free resource. We've got three stars on that one. A lovely piece of glassware with me today. And we had one from Learning Ladders where we were named the best podcast for SEN. Woo! So that was cheers. great. And, it, and we got that quite early on. So it's, it's been phenomenal. We're growing. I did the TES SEN show this year. I don't, were you there? I remember it well. I was. Yes, so back in October. And it was really nice to meet some of our listeners. And one of my favourite persons is like, are you Dale? And I was like, yeah, he goes, I was listening to you on the way to the conference. So he was on the tube listening to the podcast on the way to the conference. And I met a couple of people. One person got very excited. That was quite entertaining. But no, it was really nice meeting people. I know Finton O'Regan had people come up to him saying, I love you on the podcast. So it's been really good to be able to meet people, find people are listening to it and all the mentions on Twitter and the likes on Twitter and the comments on Twitter. I think somebody was redecorating their house listening to the Sendcast. It's been phenomenal and it's I've not been able to talk about that till today. It's been really lovely. I know I've listened to the Sendcast a lot on my daily walks, so I go out every single morning for a walk or a run. This morning was a run. I feel a little insane, but it has been really lovely to have something. It's one of those things that you can actually take with you and do something whilst you're doing something else. So yeah. the the amazing Tony Robbins guru management person talks about net time. So it's no extra time to add in some learning and something you never knew. And some of the best podcasts have been things where I've gone, wow, I didn't know that before. <laughs> and there's been some amazing people. They have. I, I remember I did one uh, Dr. James Galpin, who I think I might get some weird, but master's in child development and a PhD in develop, child developmental psychology. And he talked, and it's probably the least talking I've done in a podcast because I just listened. Yes. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to be talking in this one. And I forgot. And it, it was just fascinating. And all the conversations with you, Wendy Lee and Alison Knowles and Finton, I learned so much. And not just in my role here at B Squared with everything else we do, but as a parent. As a parent, hearing and reflecting on that, going, oh, I should have done that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's the law of getting things wrong. I think there's a wonderful thing about us reflecting on the fact that actually we need to be lifelong learners. And we talk to our children about that. 
And yeah. we say, actually, you need to be learning whatever you're doing. And they go, uh, no, that's something that happens in school. And you go, no, it's not, because I'm still doing this and I'm still getting things wrong and I'm still learning how to do them better. And having that wonderful growth mindset that Carol Dweck t- talks all about, it's about learning and developing as you go. And this is just such a lovely way of doing it. And it is. And I talked to my children, I didn't enjoy school. And I explained to them that I didn't enjoy school. They don't seem to enjoy school either. Probably due to COVID, but other things as well. And I'm like, right, there's a big difference between school and learning. I didn't enjoy school. But I love learning. I love learning. Now, Sarah Jane has a one of those bookcases behind her full of books. Some of them have her name on the front because she's written them. <laughs> Others are things she's read, like, oh, is that PC for dummies? No, I don't know what it is. Yeah, actually, yes, it probably is. <laughs> there no, is a dummies music book. Music theory for dummies, that one. That was music theory for dummies. But she's got lots of books and she reads i'm a digital person i will read kindle books i'll trawl the web i'll listen to youtube i'll listen to, and i love learning the anxiety workbook she's reading i've even at the got moment. that one because um jamie gilpin and claire ward who were one of the other same cast contributors i loved what they talked about so much i rushed off to buy the book and it's actually fantastic so you know it's a really good way of finding new things that you might want to know about it is. So, uh, yeah, so I've been really lucky because I have talked to so many amazing people. And I said, I've learned a lot, me, and the feedback has been phenomenal. And I always, every so often, I just Google the Sendcast to see where we end up. And you get family information services putting it out there. We're in a newsletter. I think Wendy Lee's put us in, I think she's done some training. I don't know if it's initial teacher training work. So she's put out the same, one of her episodes in her course. So everyone gets to step six and go listen to this podcast, which introduces a whole <laughs> load of new people to the podcast. It's phenomenal. Brilliant. Yeah, two years. And, and this actually, the podcast started because of you and Beverly Walters, didn't it? We might have been slightly culpable. Yes. So <laughs> I apologize to everybody involved. So, yes, we were quite keen. So we, we wanted, to, at B-Square, we wanted to do a podcast, but we do assessment. And it's only so far you can go on assessment. So it was like, that's a bit limiting. So, yeah, we put it to bed. We wanted to do it because podcasts are great. But we, we Beverly Walters, Beverly organizes our speakers for our virtual send conference. So she's got a huge myriad of connections because she also has the, she's the uh, content manager things for the TSSEN show. So mm-hmm. she has all these connections and you mentioned to her that I'm thinking of doing a podcast, but I'm not sure. And she's like, oh, I've got someone. And uh, so Beverly put us together and it yeah. was perfect. And then the realization of all these people we're using on the conference and all these people at TSSEN show that Beverly knows will be the guests on the podcast because you've got so much more knowledge than any we, we have. And it's such a wide range of knowledge I get from all of you to share with everyone. And that was October 2019. It was a long time ago, wasn't yes. it? From such small starts. And what I love about anything like this sort of thing is that it's so much more than the sum of its parts. Yes. And everybody who's contributed and everybody who's listened and taken back just that one little nugget from something they heard and tried something different, the ripples of that going out into the pond and across the universe of doing one thing, that one tiny thing a bit better. Yeah will make life so much better for the people that we are and the people that we love and the people that we work with. Yes. So I have a list here of our current top 10 episodes. 
We really need that I'm music now. We doing, need the music in the background. <laughs> I'm not doing uh, Tony Blackburn or what was the oh the two comedians, Poptastic Mate. Oh, um, Smashy and yes, Nicey. I'm not. We're not doing that act. We're not doing that. So Good, because I, I can't. So do I will that. do it in reverse order though. So at number ten, which was really amazing because we only record. This was only launched in May last year. So some of the episodes are now two years old, but this one's only about seven months old and it's got into the top 10. And that is the Senko Survival Guide at this challenging time of the rain, Peterson. Above that, which was again April 21, so not hugely old, was changing the Ds in ADHD with Fintan O'Regan. Supporting children with SLCN in mainstream with Wendy Lee. Supporting children with emotional-based school phobia avoidance, Tina Ray. Supporting dyslexia with schools, which is Aaron Smith. Developmental language disorder, which I believe is Wendy Lee. Sensory issues and their impact on school life with, I believe, someone called Sarah Jane Critchley. Who's that? Which was one <laughs> of the first ones we did. So that episode is two years ago. Oh, I remember laughing a lot through that one. Send support in the mainstream classroom. I can't quite remember the hell. Oh, I should have looked that up before we started. Autism in girls with Sarah Jane Critchley. But the top one, which is Wendy Lee sneaking it into her training course, is speech, language, and communication needs in the early years. Woo! So, well done, Wendy Lee. Top of the pops. But it's amazing because there is a lot of speech and language. There's sensory. There's autism. There's a, it's, it's a complete mix. It's not like one topic is at the top. because, And that's the thing with Asenko. You need so many topics, don't you? And I think that reflects people's reality, which is that actually we're a wonderful mix of vibrant, different, challenging, exciting things. And all of these things add together. And you often sit there thinking, now, how can I unlock this situation? What's the one thing that I can do that will actually make that tiny difference that will just help a child to open up or help them to cope with something or, or mean that I can actually cope with this ridiculous workload and this impossible situation just that little bit better? Because we have to look after our well-being as well as the well-being of those around us. Definitely. And I think talking with Wendy Lee and Ang Harrod Welsh in that whole speech and language world, there was I didn't realise there's so much I had no idea about. There was so much the idea of there's you have comprehension in the written form, there's verbal mm -hmm. comprehension, mm -hmm. and there's all the oracy skills and all this stuff, and there's phonics, there's phonology, the actual, um, <laughs> I'm lost already, I've forgotten it, um, which is like the rhythm of words. When you say your nursery rhymes, you're learning the rhythm of words, which helps you then decode phonics. If you're struggling with phonics, you've got to go back to phonology, all this lot, and it just, all this stuff I had no idea about. And one of the eye-opening episodes for me was um, Ang Harrod Welsh. We did an episode on verbal reasoning. And I was mm -hmm. like, what's that? Well, we started the podcast, and everyone sends me, they, like Sarah Jane sent me a list of things, this one to talk about, these things, and we worked through them. And this was when I was going, I don't really know what verbal reasoning is. So we're having this conversation, and she's going through it, and then the light bulb went on for me. And it was an mm. epiphany. It was that thing when you ask your child, why did you, why did you hit your sister? I don't know. And you don't know. Why did you hit them? Don't know. Shrug their shoulder, look at you blankly. And you put it together, you, well, you did this, you did this, and they tell you, like, so you can tell me now, but when I ask you why you couldn't, and it's a fourth level question in a second, a third, and all this stuff, and I'm going, wow, how did I not know that? How has that never, how have I never come across that in my last 40 years of life? It makes so It's the George sense. Bush problem, isn't it? Do you remember he had this thing about, the known unknowns and the unknown knowns. So basically, it's just you don't know what you don't know. Uh, it's that unconsciously incompetent, consciously competent, yeah, definitely and that. all the other. Yes, it's that. But it was one of the things I okay, 
well, how many other people don't know about these things? Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, so I've learned a lot and it's been fascinating for me at B-Squared, but also as a parent. So yes, so big thank you to all our speakers who've been part of the Sendcast over mm. the last two years. It's been phenomenal. So have you got any favorite episodes lovely. you've listened to? You've mentioned, obviously, you've gone out and bought a book because of the Sendcast. I have loads of favorite episodes <laughs> it's really bad and it's it's really difficult to actually pick out anybody because i think everybody has contributed things in a different way yeah. and has contributed things that i did not know there's been rarely has there been an episode where oh i know all that yeah. and frankly i think the minute you talk to somebody who says oh yes i'm an expert and i know everything that's the time to run screaming for the hills and go oh my god avoid this person yeah. whatever you do run away run away so i think <laughs> there's always been Lots of things, and the the one thing that w that really stuck in my mind recently was a very recent episode, and that, that's unfair yeah. because it's harder to remember things that happened a long time ago. And I really did love the concept of desperately seeking certainty, yes. which was the one that Jamie Gilpin and Claire Ward did, because I think. In these really uncertain times, this is something we are all feeling. Yes. And this is a very common experience. And I love the way that they were talking about how it's not to do with any diagnosis you have. It's actually to do with the basic human need that you need. We all have a need for certainty and we create that yeah. in whatever way we can. Some of the ways in which we do that are less functional than others and less helpful to those around us, but we're all doing the same thing. Yeah. And I really love that. I absolutely love that. And I thought that was wonderful. Some of the other ones that I really enjoyed, she's going to say, picking out a couple that really shone out to me. There was the lovely lady who was doing the episodes on singing and using singing yes. to teach curriculum and I, it was our start yes. in songwriting with children i was listening to that one and just giggling my way up the road as i was listening to it. and i know you're not going to win any prizes for songwriting anytime no, soon i'm not as a, as a pair oh that was <laughs> and that's the thing so some episodes like dr jamie galpin i'm sitting there and i'm learning and then the episodes with our start she changed i literally because he, he was talking about my, my view on primary music was really rubbish and childish. and But yeah, what she did, and I've got her CD, I had it in the car. And it's, it's, it's very different. And those, I love, yeah, they were a lot of fun. And I think there's one of the themes that I wanted to pick out from the things that have happened over the last couple of years is that I think it's time we brought a bit of fun back. Yes. And that, for me, really was emblematic of the fact that we need that back in education. It's all got very scary, very rule-based, very results-orientated. And the things that actually help people to learn is when they're having fun. Yes. You learn so much better when you're having fun than when you're not. So I think anything that can do that, and there was another one about storytelling, the story links with um, Trisha Waters, yes. which I thought was lovely. And it's about we have to bring back in the arts and drama and things that actually unlock that sense of creativity. And you can be creative in maths. Yes. If you think about people who are doing really higher level maths, that is not, I'm sitting here and I'm doing two plus two equals four. This is kind of how is the universe made up of things and, and string theory. And I, I can't even go there because it's beyond my comprehension. Yep. But that is really creative. That's really innovative. But it happens to be in a, a mathematical context. If you look at anything in terms of the development of, of science and technology we've had this year science has had a massive impact on what we've been able to do if you look at the way that the vaccines were developed that's because 
here, well, I'm going to say it as it is, often autistic people have focused really hard on developing things and created vaccines. Ah, who knew? Who knew? That this sort of thing could happen and could actually be helping us to live a freer life than we were a year ago because we are safer. Yes. And with that, having fun is you're going to go down the multi sensory route, aren't you? You're having fun, you generally. I always have. And that brings uh, Dr. Susie Nyman into the conversation. I generally, I literally, I look forward to podcasting with her because I have no idea what to expect. I literally, <laughs> I have no idea what to expect. And we have so much fun. And that's the thing. So like podcast with Finton, it's like I'm having a conversation with a really good friend and we have lots of fun and we record, we, we, we have a conversation, but we generally having a conversation before and after and the same with you. It continues and little secret, we don't record every week. We're recording bunches. <laughs> so I'm recording three episodes with Sarah Jane today, but we are literally, my whole day's blocked out and it's focused on podcasting and the conversation generally goes all day. And it's lots of fun. And I'm really lucky. I just, I'm literally, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people I get on with, I have a laugh with, and I'm calling them friends. And I have lots of fun. So some of them topics, I literally, I get, you send me the topic form, and I'm going, oh, I love that topic. So I'm not necessarily <laughs> learning a huge amounts. I generally, I get a different perspective. I get, mm. I increase my knowledge, maybe like 10%. But I love joining. I'm passionate about it. I'm interested in it. Other topics are completely new to me and I get to experience them for the first time. And I've never been a teacher. I've never been mm. in the classroom. I do assessment. Oh, you have been in, I've been the, in classroom. the classroom many years ago. But that ago, was a while ago. And I wasn't the best student. So I've not done that. I, I've, I've been a chair of governors. I've been a governor, I've been a vice chair. I've done lots of things like that. But I've never been in the teacher's position. So mm. it's talking with Joanna Grant, various others. I actually get to sit there and go, what's life like as a Senko? What are the challenges? I'm on the Senko group, just trying to pick up all the challenges. And trust me, if you read those Senko groups, you, you're not really advertising or promoting being a Senko. It's not happy mm. reading. <laughs> and I think those are really struggling and they have yeah. a really difficult job in a difficult environment in a very difficult time. Definitely. So all credit to everybody who's being one of those absolute hero senkos who are fighting daily to try and get the best things possible for the children they're supporting and to support families who are having a hard time too and their colleagues who are really struggling. You know, it is right at the sharpest of the sharp end. Yeah. So thank you to everybody who's doing that or who is providing support to that in any way, whatever they can. Definitely. So we've talked about us a lot and how amazing we are. We've said about how amazing our uh, teachers, anyone working with children, even the parents, they've gone through so much over the last two years, haven't they? Losing that respite because the children are always home, mm. not being able to talk to additional people and have that outside support to bolster them, to keep them positive. All the challenges have thrown at them. They've all had to work through it all and, and hopefully still not coming out the other side getting there yeah and i think one of the big elephants in the room that we need to talk about that we have no solution for right now is the impact of inequality over that period yes so there have been some people who've had a really good lockdown yep who have been able to work from home and been able to teach their children from home and have the technology and have schools that have provided remarkable fantastic resources and have pulled on everything that's available and put it together in a way that is vibrant and exciting and calls the children in and gets them to do things in a way that they didn't know they could do them before and it's been a liberating experience for them and then there are others yeah 
And there are people living in families where if they're lucky, they have one laptop between all of them and they get to use it for an hour each or it goes to somebody who's got an exam coming up, maybe, (laughs) or maybe not. And they may not have a space that they can do that safely. They may be hungry. Big up to Marcus Rashford. Thank you for fighting for food for children. Who knew that that was going to be a problem? In this century, it is one of our nation's greatest shames, I think that we are allowing this to happen right now. It is allowing, no other choice. So let's not get political, but we are talking about the situation that people are in, not the people who are or are not helping. (laughs) Well, we'll talk about the people who are helping because we want to be positive here on the Sendcast. We're going to be positive if it kills us. Yes, no, we are, we are. No, one of the things, I've I've heard a phrase probably quite a few times over the last, last six months, and the first time I heard it, I went, what? And it was the phrase, we all have the same 24 hours. And I was like, yeah, apart from doing it. I went, what do you, and I went, oh, I went, ah, and it was, it's an inequality thing. So if you're a very rich person, you don't spend any time shopping or cooking or child caring or this. So although you have 24 hours, you get a lot more time. But if you're a young carer, if you family with SEN, in, in, that actually you, your 24 hours is disappears very quickly with very little me time, free time, forward-looking time, planning time, relaxation time, social time, happy. It just disappears. So when I first heard that, it made no sense. The more I think it's like, that is a really good way of thinking about inequality to me. When you're old, you can literally map out two different children, people's 24 hours and look at the difference and how much choice person A has compared to person B. Mm. It can be very different. Now, that was quite uh, an interesting way for me to hear that phrase going. And then I think that's quite a good one to think about. Because you say, oh, people are only going, actually, that took 24 hours ago. Oh, it's very different for me. But yes, no, back to being positive. Back to being positive. And I think there's a really big difference in terms of the way that some schools have worked. And some schools have been phenomenal. I know people who are working in special schools who've stayed open right throughout. So even when schools were shut, because they had incredibly vulnerable pupils, they were able to take some of those pupils in and they worked right the way through. Yes. And there were other schools where children were not able to attend because of the profile of their needs and they didn't feel they could do that safely. And there were other schools where that was used as an excuse because it was too difficult. Yes. So I'm not in a position to say for any one circumstance or any one person where they fell. Yep. I'm not able to do that. But that was not an equal experience. I, I'm, I'm, again, lucky being on the podcast. I've talked to uh, Jane Friswell, who is a one-woman army. So uh, yeah, I would never take Jane on ever anything. But she, she was a chair of governors. And she, in listening to her talking about how the school closed she knew that a lot of the time that's where children got their meals so she talked to a local restaurant which was closing and arranged for that and and a number of schools did this thing and they were basically were delivering food to families i know quite a few Mm. head teachers or senkos were delivering food to families who would have thought that in 2019 that next year as a head teacher your job Mm. is going to be delivering food to families who need it yeah it's just this, this, they really have in so many places they have really stepped up, mm. and you know some other places they've just been very stationary, and and it, I definitely think this year, um, last two years has really shined a light on 
amazing leaders mm. and not so amazing leaders. But we'll leave that. And I think <laughs> we also need to talk about the exhaustion that goes with that. Yes. Because whilst everyone has struggled with the emotional weight of COVID and of having to work differently and possibly losing people that they know and love, other people have been holding things together and keeping them going and working throughout. And that has come at a price. And one of the issues that we're now seeing in schools and in the NHS and in supermarkets and in other services right across the board is that people are flipping tired. Yeah. They are so, so tired of trying to keep everything going and trying to make it work. And I think one of the problems that we all sometimes have is we get a bit fractious <laughs> When, when we get overtired, yeah. <laughs> it's like being hangry. <laughs> yep. Just, you know, sleep is one of the most important things in the universe. And lots of us have had disturbed sleep for a host of reasons. So maybe you're hungry. Maybe you're just tired. Maybe you can't get out. Maybe you're overworking. Maybe you're supporting other people. Maybe you're a young carer. All of those things affect what you're able to do. And so, I've seen one of the things that we wanted to talk about was the impact on mental health for children and for people working in schools. And there has been a big dip in the well-being of our young people. Yes. I think there's a big social thing. And Wendy Lee touched on the number of children coming into nurseries and receptions with developmental language delay. Mm. So where they haven't been in those situations, they haven't gone to play areas, or play areas, they haven't gone to play groups, they haven't been to birthday parties, they're just missing out on all the social interactions, the conversations that happen, they learn, observing, and they're turning up in schools without those skills. Mm. And I didn't realize, because the government talked about having an early year support, and I'm going... They've not been in school, so it's not going to be a huge impact. But it's because my children aren't the age, I completely forgot about all those little uh, music with mummy, gym tots. You weren't Boiler. doing the, the church kids groups, were you, Dave? I've done music <laughs> with mummies. I was chipping my shoulder. I'm a daddy. Why is it music with parents? No, fine. Music with mummies. But I've done all of those. I've done all of those. I'm very fortunate you know, to be able to take time off sometimes and go and do those with my kids. I loved them. The toy libraries nursery pickups mm. loved it and i used to um my, one of my daughter's nursery they used to get parent helpers going so i used to go in every so often and just have lots of fun playing with kids it was just lots of fun yeah so they missed out on all of that mm. and we're turning up at school a long way behind where they should be and there is a lot of work a lot of support there'll be a lot of speech and language work lots of other work anxieties it's just a lot of work that needs to be done at a low age for these children but I think it cuts right the way through the age groups as well. So potentially the impact is biggest on the youngest children because developmentally that period is such a, a large portion of their lives. Yeah. Whereas when you're older, it's a smaller portion and you've got other things to compare it to. Yeah. So it has a bigger impact on much younger children. But every developmental stage is important and everybody has lost an element of that. Yeah. And one of the groups that's lost... I would say most has been the group who are transitioning from primary to secondary. Yep. Because that period where in our kids' times, they'd have gone off and done the year six trip 
and gone and thrown themselves off the top of ridiculously high poles and done zip wires and done the PGL parents get lost holidays yes. from school where they kind of they got to actually experience and explore and experiment for themselves in a way that actually built their confidence massively to help support that gap. That didn't happen because they weren't able to go away. My, my eldest was able to do that, and she went away one mm. child and came back a very different child. It was amazing. Yeah. And my youngest, who transitioned to secondary in 2020, so she she lost out on those. She missed out on the SAT. It's not a bad thing. But, yeah, she missed out on those year six things, the kind mm. of that last term where it's a very quite a relaxed term. You've got through the SATs. It's like, okay, you've got the production. You've got your school trip, you've got this, you've got that. And it, it very much went, okay. And there's a big impact on my eldest, but my youngest missed out. And it's, it is quite sad. Mm. And yeah, lots of school trips for everyone have all been missed. And yeah, that transition process is huge. But a lot of secondary schools did really well, really quickly adapting. They had lots of videos from all the different teachers, mm. all the different departments. There was virtual tours. My daughter's school, when she went to secondary, they stayed in the same classroom. So it was a similar, they weren't traveling around mm. this giant school. They got rid of that anxiety. They stayed in the same classroom. Teachers came and went. That was easier. It was, it was a smaller step. They didn't have such a big step they would have had. So yeah, but that transitioning, big challenge. And I think this year has been a practice for us in radical acceptance training. <laughs> that actually, there are some things you can't change. So there are things in life that you just can't change no matter what you want to do. No. And you have a choice. You can sit there and you can rage and say, I'm really angry that this thing's come on and I don't want it to be this way and I'm not going to do this. Well, that doesn't do you any good. All that happens is you use your energy up on fighting something that is not something you can fight. And I think one of the things that's been most difficult psychologically in terms of COVID is that there isn't somebody we can fight. If you compare... Yep the way that as a nation we've responded to it versus the way that we would respond to a time of war historically, I know you hate history, but I'm going to take you there, Dale, is that in the Second World War, we had an enemy to fight. We had something to line up together against. This has been the most divisive period in history because there isn't a thing that we can fight in the same way. No. So we have to actually say, well, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to use our energy to say, this isn't fair, this isn't right, and I'm going to sulk and get cross about it? Or are we actually going to say, okay, I'm going to accept that this is the reality. It may not be what I wanted. In fact, it isn't yeah. what I wanted. There's nothing about this that I would have chosen. However, what do I do now with what I have, however small that is? So some of us have got a big pot and loads of things to do with it. And some of us have got a very little pot and just the ability to sit there and work out what we can do with a cardboard box. <laughs> You'd be amazed what you can do with a There's cardboard box. There's lots of things you can do, especially if you're a cat. But I, I remember when I was younger, things would, maybe things wouldn't go well. And my mum would be, uh, I'm going to say the word Karen. Um, my mum would, and she always used the word should and shouldn't a lot. This shouldn't be happening. You should have, and I'm going, and it was very much as like, there isn't, it, it is and it isn't. It's not should or shouldn't. That it should have happened, but we're not. We're in that is or isn't stage. Yeah. It should have been here. It isn't what we're going to do. Let's stop, move past should or shouldn't. Yeah. You've got to get past that as quickly as possible. Because as you said, my mum used up a lot of anger and energy in that zone. 
And I, and I literally just went, okay, it's already happened. I can't change it. Let's put my energy into, okay, so what can I do instead? And I think I was quite happy that my mum taught me that quite an early age. It keeps me generally mm. quite calm. I don't rant at people. I generally, if I'm phoning up to have a go at someone, it's like the first thing I say is, I know this isn't you, so I'm going to keep my voice low, but I'm really grumpy and I want to make, because it's not the person I'm, the person <laughs> in that call center had no link to my kettle breaking or a uh, flood or anything. Mm. It's got, they got nothing. So yeah, it shouldn't have it's happened. It's just their Thursday morning. Yeah. So what are they going to do about yeah. it? So yeah, my kettle shouldn't have blown up. There shouldn't be a hole in my roof. My cat shouldn't have thrown up. This shouldn't have happened. My Someone shouldn't have hit my car. But that is what happened. And that is what I've got to deal with. And just, yeah, I'm quite yeah relaxed with the accepting it and diving in. I have a lovely friend who describes it when I occasionally we'll fall into these patterns from time to time. You know, perfection doesn't exist. But every so often I say, oh, I should have done this, should have done that. And he said, you're shooting all over yourself again. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is absolutely brilliant. Please save me from shooting all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> I often sit there and go, okay, so that should have happened. It didn't. What could I have done? Not I should have done it, but for next time, could I do something to avoid it? Yeah. And, if yeah. You, and then if you don't do that the next time, well, you've only got yourself to blame. I'm, I'm very logical with my process thinking, but generally, and I'm talking to um, Alison and someone else, Alison Knowles and someone else, it's, that's how I deal with my anxiety. I reduce it by planning ahead. So I'm feeling really rubbish right now. It's all gone wrong. I've got to deal with this. Right. I've got to prevent this from happening again because I don't want to deal with this again. Were you desperately seeking certainty, I'm Dale? desperately seeking certainty. I think you might and have that, been. we covered hmm. that in that podcast as I talked about my problem A, B, C, and D's because it's my certainty. And that's mm. what I like. Mm. So yeah. Yeah, no, that is a big one. Yeah, lots of people, yeah, you see worrying about things which is out of their control. Mm. And I talked with Alice Knowles, she had three circle things. What do you have control of? What do you have some mm -hmm. control over? What do you have no control over? And your control actual loop circle which she stands in is very small. Mm. There's very little actual control you have. Most of it sits in some control. And, mo and there's a huge amount in I've got no control. And it's realizing. And sometimes, yeah, if you can move some of that no control to some control, that will make you feel a lot more comfortable. And I think it's really important for us to recognize all the great work that's gone into actually helping people to come back and helping them to reintegrate and helping them to get back to a sense of normality, both as a society and particularly in schools, and doing work to welcome children back in and to help them to feel safe, whether that's through the recovery curriculum or through which we did a couple of episodes on, or whether it's through other things. There are so many schools who've gone above and beyond. Yeah to explain what's happened, to honour the realities that people have experienced and to help them to come to terms with that and work out what needs immediate support, what just needs recognition and what is going to need long-term support because the impact of that, if they've lost someone, for example, may be considerably longer. Yeah. And I think that's a really key thing. So well done to everybody who's been involved in that. There's been some stellar work done through that. Yeah. So we've got lots of change in schools due to COVID, but you've also mentioned the term ghost children. Mm. So there's been a big thing this year about all of those missing children, as if there was a, an article, and I think it was in the TS, um, there was, they said that somewhere between 95,000 and 135,000 
thousand children had gone missing. I'm doing air quotes right now. Okay, um, had gone missing from education. And these actually weren't children who had gone missing. When you look into the detail underneath it, there were some interesting realities behind that. So the first thing to say was that when they put that article out, they were referring to um, a study that looked at how many children were not in school on one given day. So it was a single point that they looked at. Secondly, it was looking at attendance rates on that one day during COVID and comparing that to an attendance rate before COVID. Now, there will have been children who are ill. Yeah. There will, and that there's a rate of a percentage of children who will be ill on any given day, on any given year, regardless. Yeah. The rate was much higher this year than it was in previous years. And that's why people are concerned and disconcerted about it. But there will also be a group of children who are isolating. There'll be a group of children who are forced to isolate because they have tested positive. There will be classes that were sent home because the teacher wasn't there and there weren't people there. So this is not all children who are not trying to get into school, but the way that the article was presented made it sound like, oh, we've got all these children who don't want to come to school anymore because they've done it all online and it's all different now. So I think it was a slight misrepresentation of a concern. And I think one of the concerns is that we would generally say that for most children, not all children, most children being in school is much better than not being in school. Yes. That it gives them access to resources, experiences and education that they would not have if they were not in school. Safety, food, social. And that's why it matters yeah. that children are generally in school. Now, that doesn't mean that that is true of everybody. Nope. And I work with a lot of people whose children have fallen out of school for reasons beyond the control of the school, potentially, or because of their own profile and because they're overwhelmed or they're ill or they've got medical issues or they're autistic and they can't cope with the sensory environment anymore. Or for some of these children now, they have tried schooling online and that suits them because it gives them access to education in a way that they couldn't access education before because they were so wiped out by the sensory environment. Yeah. So there are a small proportion of the school population who are probably best educated differently to our, let's face it, education factories. You shove them in at one end, you throw stuff at them and you pull them out the other. And what really frustrates me personally, this is a personal thing, is that there are some amazing teachers who will really put their lives on the line and they'll come up with amazing things. And there are education systems that don't support them to be able to be creative and innovative and teach in a way that makes them come alive to teach it and their children come alive to hear it. Yeah, completely agree. And one of the things, going back to that article, I've really given up on, over the last few years, every type of media. <laughs> what we all have to realise is and the same with banks. Banks aren't there to look after your money. Banks are there to make money for themselves. Yeah? Mm -hmm. They're not there for you. They're there for them. News, back in the old days, when you could get bus fare and all that lot, bus fare home for yeah, two pounds. Poor old thing. Um, <laughs> news was news. It was this has happened, and that's where it ended. And, but now we like to speculate. And, but because you're not, we're not buying newspapers, they have to make their money a different way which generally is adverts alongside the article you read. 
So what they want you to do, Sarah Jane, is they want to put this article about ghost children. You go, what? And you go and read it because you have to go and read it. And that's how they make their money. You read it. But what's the best thing you could do for them at that moment? React to that article on Twitter or Facebook. Why? Because then all your friends will go, oh, is she read? I'll go read it. Yeah? Mm. Their job, their way of making money is to get you to react strongly to whatever they write. So those head, those headings from every article, you, you literally start thinking about that, reading our headline, and go, that's clickbait. I literally either have no idea what you Absolutely. said, or I'm already getting angry just by reading those 10 words. And I want to be who has, and you realize it, and generally what's actually in the article is not what is representative of the headline. They are just, all these things are just making you react. Yeah, you literally, you just see it every, look on your phone, every headline. They are there to make you react, to jump in, because that way you see the advert, they get their money. They want you to comment on it. They want you to have an argument with you because you'll need jerk reaction one way. Someone will need jerk reactions another way. There'll be an argument going on. It will get viral. Everyone will join in. They're just making money off the advertising and the attention. And I think that's something that we need to talk to our children about as parents. I don't know how far this is covered in schools in terms of critical analysis of information and news, but certainly one of the funnest activities that we have at home is to go through an advert and say, right, this is an advert. This is it. We know this is going to be a manipulative attempt because it's an advert. Yep. Adverts are there to manipulate you into buying or believing something. That's what it's there for. That's the whole purpose of an advert. So what is it saying? What hot buttons is it hitting? What things can you learn from this? And so there are obvious things. That, I mean, you and I are old enough to remember days where you used to sell cars by draping a bodacious young woman over the front of uh -huh. them. Like, that was ever going to appeal to me. But hey, yep. well, maybe it would appeal to me. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? We're making assumptions now, aren't we? No, actually, what it did do is just make me annoyed that somebody had to make their living by draping some rather nice-looking young lady over a car. <laughs> it just kind of made me a bit cross. I, I, but then that says more Again, I would say the adverts I remember, so I said, Papa, Nicole, was the old Renault Clio advert. <laughs> Dear. And they, they were both <laughs> having partners on the side without telling the other. That was the whole thing. It went on for years, and you had the... Uh, very French. Very French. Very French, dear listener. And you had the Kenko adverts. You had um, the random Cadbury's with the gorilla and the drum kit. That wasn't random. That was so unrandom. It was brilliant. It was Phil Collins in the air tonight, which is one of the best tracks oh, it's known great. to it's mankind. Great. And they then did the racing of all the airport vehicles. And generally, the adverts you remember, the adverts which have an impact on us, are the ones where they're not selling us something. They're doing something else to us. And there's less and less of that. I think, again, I can go on a rant about this for age. I could do a whole podcast ranting about media and how everything is dumbing yeah, down. Yeah, no, don't do that, Dale. Uh, but let's get back to schools. Let's get back to schools. But, yeah, no, I do think when I see things like that, there are my, my, my daughter much prefer being educated at home because she didn't have to deal with idiots. So that's the thing is... When you're at home, you're not being affected by the other 30 children in your classroom negatively. Yes, yeah, so if you go in there dreading, if you're being bullied, if you are have anxious, you're you're anxious because you don't understand, you put your hand up, and all things like that, it gets rid of all of that. It's, it's for so many children, it's huge benefits being at home, being away from all of that, 
but they still need that social part and I don't know how to fix that. But I'm a tech person. I love tech. There are lots of benefits removing these barriers for these people who prefer to be at home. But I do think it's important that somehow, if they are at home, we need to then put extra bits on social. So um, we work with a company who have a company of 100 people with no office. They all work from home, have done for years. But they put extra effort in to meet socially. Mm. As, as the employer, he puts extra effort in to make sure his staff who are missing out on the social experience of being in the office are pursuing leisure pursuits, is engaging socially outside of work. So I think, yeah, if people are being schooled at home, we've got to find something which is appropriate for them to help them learn those social skills. But this isn't rocket science, no. and that's something that people have been doing for years, and home educating communities have been set up to do exactly that thing. So they provide opportunities for children to get together and learn in a cooperative way and to pool resources as well. And there have been parents and families who have been doing that successfully for a very, very long time. Your daughter went to a virtual school, didn't she? She did, and they put a lot of effort into having form rooms on a Friday afternoon where they got to do stuff together and they got to write poetry and read stuff out. It was quite a strange group of children. <laughs> they were all, they were all a little, little unusual. And uh, she felt very at home there, yeah. so <laughs> which, it is, which worked very well for it her. It's very possible. It just I think it comes down to not fitting in with somebody, minister, education's way of doing things, which is, as you said, education factories. It doesn't fit into that, which means it's harder for them to control and manage. Yeah. So let's just give the government. Sorry, I'm going to move you on now. Cool. We've got to move before on. Before we do nothing but rant. Yes, definitely. Um, I did want to just touch on the fact that there have been some significant changes to try and improve the state of mental health in schools. And the government, for all the things that they have done that we might take issue to, have actually done something to try and improve mental health in schools. And I just wanted to touch on some of those things in case people weren't aware of them, because I think that might help. So one of the things that they've done is they've issued some new guidance, which came out this year, which has supported setting up uh, mental health leads in every school. Yep that schools should have an additional responsibility for that. Now, the flip side of that, of course, is that everyone's already overwhelmed and overworked, but and adding yet one more thing on is a bit challenging. Yeah. But it also reflects the reality that the children who rock up in school come as whole human beings with the issues that they have as part of their learning yeah experience as part of their life experience but they also put in some funding yeah which is always good to hear they've announced seven million pounds for to support the well-being for education recovery program which is worth looking up and this is important because at, right now um, a recent survey found that one in six children have mental health issues diagnosable and support needing needed for mental health issues. So that's a huge proportion. This isn't kind of, oh, it's just that child in the corner who's a bit of a snowflake, actually. No, these children are not snowflakes. These are some of the most resilient, resourceful and overwhelmed children in one of the hardest situations we have ever seen. So sorry, that's just standing up for the snowflake generation because I think that's a load of bulldash. They have also announced, the government, that they were going to include mental health as a key part of the RSHE curriculum, that it should be part of 
schools teaching children about mental wellness and how to maintain that. And I think that is a super thing for them to do. In the same way that schools have been teaching about eating correctly and managing your energy and being healthy and saying no to drugs or knowing what it is when you're looking at them and somebody is offering you something you shouldn't be having, you know, Doing all of that responsibly is something schools have done for a long time, and I think it's good that they're being given support. If you want, if you want to find more about this mental health stuff, is Richard Daniel Curtis, not the Richard Curtis, but another Richard Curtis. Um, he's he's heavily involved in it. He he talked at our last virtual send conference on all around mental health and being mental health leads, and I think he's got some of the funding, I believe, around doing all of this. So yes, it is definitely. If your Brilliant. school hasn't dived in already dive in i know as you said it's an extra thing but it's it's preventive rather than reactive so you're planning Absolutely. ahead you're getting rid of problems because generally if you sort it if you're doing it first and not reactive reactive always takes longer it's harder more effort more money we're doing it preventively it's going to be cheaper easier and you're going to have less problems to deal with so do dive in and look at all of that and the other thing that i really liked about what they've done is that they've announced a whole school or college approach alongside um, public health england in 2021 they announced that which i think is a seriously good move forward so i think having an emphasis and an understanding that people turn up as entire humans you know, and that's part of the thing. I think that's really important. And I think that's a really good step forward. So I thought that would be useful for people to know. We did just talk a little bit about the media, and I wanted to just touch on some of the things that have happened in the media this year. And I don't know what your views are, Dale, but I'm, I'm sure we'll come you start on to them in, join in but a second <laughs> it's kind of so there have been a lot of schools who have been on telly for want of a better phrase so we've had educating essex we've had school swaps we've had um swaps where you've had people from private schools going to mainstream schools we've had people who are in mainstream schools going to private schools we've had shows that showed what a a behaviour czar might do in a particular situation. And I think it's fair to say that the impact of those has been very mixed. So one of the delightful things has seen has been to see things like there was a particular episode of Educating Essex, which I loved, which was a young man who had a speech impediment and he was actually helped to have his his oral part of his English so that he was able to speak that to his class. And he did it so beautifully, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. You know, it was absolutely wonderful. And I think showing children in a current school setting can be helpful for people who are not in schools to say, actually, no, that schools are different to the way that they were when we were at them. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of, it's a different environment. They have different challenges. But alongside that, I think. Some programs have represented serious issues in a way that hasn't always been very responsible and has caused great distress to families in similar situations. And I'm thinking particularly of the program that was about exclusions, which caused a great deal of distress to a number of families whose children are incredibly vulnerable. And 
I saw the first program of that and was so upset by it, I couldn't see the second because of the way that a behavioural approach had been taken to this one child particularly it there was an emphasis on stop the child from doing that thing and not an emphasis on why is the child doing that thing what's happening for the child that means that they are behaving in that way and this is not a kind of touchy-feely oh we must do everything from the child you know this is a realistic rational approach if somebody came to you and held your arms down and put you in a corner for 15 minutes until you could calm down. Would you feel like being calm or would you feel like clonking them on? Beyond clonking. But it's the thing is... And we are surprised why children react in a way that we don't want them to react. If we give them a stimulus that would cause any reasonable person to react in a negative way. Yeah, mental health. We I, we still got a huge way to go. I can talk about TV and various things. Um, but yeah, so generally, so there was something happening which creates an emotion in that person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. they Their behavior is them communicating their emotions type thing. It's, Absolutely. Yeah, you might remove the item. You might change that. But unless you're dealing with that emotion, it's not touchy-feely. It's bog standard. You see people go through things um, and they have a reaction. They react to things. You might remove the stimulus, but the emotion is still there. And um, you look at so many things in the media and you could literally look at every slightly negative news story where someone's done something and you, I can literally go, rather than pointing fingers and blaming, we should be really looking at mental health in this situation. We really should be going, that person's struggling They've done that because they're struggling mentally and that's their communication. But instead we're vilifying them, it's all their fault and various things and they should, shouldn't be doing that. Generally, we forget about mental health outside of schools. Even in schools, we forget about mental health when things aren't going perfect, I personally feel. So mm. while everything's positive, or oh, I'm in a good place, they're in a good place, we'll do mental health things. When they've gone downhill, that behavior is not acceptable. No, no, that behavior is there because they're not in a good place. So you can't deal with the behavior. You've got to deal with where they are mentally, that mental health. Then the behavior will go down again. It's that sort of stuff, isn't it? And I do think that we need to listen to each other more. So there is a big thing about children who will react really badly at home and quote, they are, but they're fine at school. And maybe they are fine at school. And maybe in some cases, school is a safe place and they feel they have a structure that supports them and that's fine and brilliant and they feel safer there. But maybe they don't. And maybe actually the things that are happening at school, they're holding in as hard as they possibly can throughout the day and they only react when they're in the safe place. We don't know which of those things it is. And we often are very bad at asking And I think there is something really important. One of the best things I ever did as a parent was to go into school and say, this is what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? And what is it that's happening that's causing this to be the case? And I worry that in some cases, not in all by all means, but in some cases, schools are saying it's not a problem here. Therefore, why is it a problem? Or even worse, somebody's really struggling to get into school. And I know there's a fantastic episode on emotionally based school avoidance that Tina Ray did for you. Sometimes I think things happen at school that causes a trauma 
that is then makes it harder for a child to get back in. Yeah. And we're not always very good at actually listening to the child to work out what will help them to feel safe enough at school to come back in. Yeah. And when that opportunity is missed, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And then you have a serious issue rather than a temporary issue. And one of the things that we also know, particularly about autistic people, and that's my stock in trade and my specialism, is that the rates of post-traumatic stress disorder in autistic people is much higher than in non-autistic people for two reasons. Firstly, they're more likely to experience a traumatizing episode what anybody would regard as a traumatizing episode. And secondly, they're more likely to be traumatized by things that would not be traumatizing for a non-autistic person. Yeah. So more sensitive to things because of sensory profiles and understanding and not being able to deal with uncertainty and more often bullied, more often excluded, more often um, seeing traumatic things happen. And some of those happen in school. Definitely. My, my nephew has gone through that whole process. He still kind of access the PTSD counselling from CAMS. He's not there at that level yet. And we're talking this happened three mm. years ago. Um, we did wow. also do an episode uh, with Lana Grant on he doesn't do that at school. Yeah. Yes. Just because he doesn't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. Yeah. And it is a conversation and it could be many, but you have to have a conversation. You have to listen to each person. You have to. Alice Knowles talks about fishing rods and fishing and others people talk about you putting the pieces together in a jigsaw. You're going, yeah, really yeah. bad on Thursday. What happened in school on Thursday? Work it was every Thursday. Oh, what he has. And it's working out. You're doing Inspector Cluzo. You are working out what is causing this behavior at home. Is there something at school? Or is it, as you said, it's not structured at home. It's a bit too free. Whatever it is, you've got to work together for that child. And that's really hard for schools because they haven't got the time and the resources to have those relationships with parents that they need to sometimes. And it's really hard for parents because if a school is saying this isn't happening and is coming back with very straightforward things that sound really combative, then they're scared sometimes to go in and have those conversations. Not all parents are stroppy middle class people with sharp elbows. You know, some parents are people who've had a hard time at school and it's going into school is bringing up their own school trauma as well as their children's school trauma. And they need help to be invited in to be able to have that conversation. And they may not have those communication skills either. Yeah. So you might have a prickly yeah. parent, but it might be prickly for various reasons, which are nothing to do with actually what's going on with their child and you kind of got to help remove that prickliness and ignore that and listen and have a conversation and the one thing that makes all the difference in the world is leaving your preconceptions outside the door as far as you possibly can and focusing on what the child needs yeah not on we do things this way or i can't possibly do that at home but what does the child need what is achievable because there will be things that aren't achievable so what can we actually agree on that we can do together that will make a difference and make it doable for this child definitely because it may only be one thing or two things but those one thing or two things might make the world of a difference did uh, an episode with Ginny Bootman called follow the empathy road which is all about having those conversations with parents and the different types of parents and how you approach those conversations differently but it's all about building that relationship absolutely every time 
And it was a whole element of the AET training, a whole part of the, there were four separate areas. And one of them was building relationships. Huge. Excellent. Huge. Good stuff. I mean, it's massive, absolutely massive. So we've already talked for an hour, so I'm going to have to mention that because we're going to try not to talk for two hours. We're trying to keep it short because uh, some people are already <laughs> going on a second lap going, how long is this going on for? <laughs> Um, it's all right. You can spread this over two of your walks, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> Our listener may be getting a bit tired. You can have us over two days. You don't have to do it all in one go. <laughs> it's fine. So I just wanted to pick up on the importance of whole school approaches. So yeah. every time, any time you can get everybody to agree to have a single way of looking at something, please do. Those of you who are senkos, those of you who are school leaders have the capacity to be able to put in place things that will make a bigger difference because you can leverage. So that's my my single quick bid for any whole school approach, wherever you get it from. And remember, for a whole school approach to work, it has to be led from the top. Absolutely. Or as uh, there was a wonderful quote, and I can't remember where it came from. I'm sure one of our listeners will come back and tell us somewhere on Twitter, which is that the, the fish rots from the head, <laughs> which is a, a particularly flavoursome way of explaining okay. that if things go wrong, it's usually a leadership issue. Yeah. That's the thing. It is not necessarily a delivery. Some people go, we've got a senker. They can deal with all of this. It's like, no, because no. how you as a head teacher are supporting, ignoring, going against, not including the senko tells everyone else how they should respond to special needs. Mm. And if I was talking to a Senko yesterday and they were saying that they had 75 EHCPs to write. Ouch. 75, which all had to be done in the same term because of the timing and the local authority weren't participating with it. So they did all of them because they care about the children that they've got. But that load is unworkable. Yep. Especially when you go, oh, yeah, I teach four days a week and I, I'm at home and I get an hour a week. Yeah, that's not working. Yeah. And um, this is going to take us straight on to the SEND review. Yes. Because that is, that is big. Just because, you know, we've had a really hectic year, couple of years. There's been a lot going on. Our thoughts are on actually trying to keep going from day to day. Meanwhile, there's been this little thing called the SEND review bubbling underneath <laughs> where the government acknowledged, partly because of the work of the Education Select Committee led by the MP Robert Halfon, who's done a fantastic job of looking into whether the EHCP send system worked or not. The answer is no, it doesn't. It doesn't seem to be working for anybody, as far as we can tell. So the government have yet to come out with their recommendations and what they found in the SEND review. It's currently been going for two years, three months at the time of recording. Yep. It has taken a little while. Um, they reported to the Education Select Committee um, just before the new year, so in December, and there were five different things I wanted to talk to you about that were shared in that same committee because it's the latest information we have. And I appreciate if you're listening to this in two years' time, you may be going, oh, what are they talking about? That was ages ago. So the first thing is... That's well, ages department. ago, but we're still waiting for it. We're still... <laughs> <laughs> it will be out here by then. I promise it will be out by then. And it's not my within my gift, but, you know, it yeah. will be out by then. So the first thing was that the department was strongly criticised, basically on the grounds that other things have still happened in spite of the pandemic, and this is one thing that hasn't. So it is not inconceivable that it could have happened. So MPs are aware that this is an issue and yeah. the government aren't getting away with it, to put it like that. The second thing was that the minister admitted that the SEND review had shortcomings. Good. But 
a thing that concerned me slightly was that he said that they had failed to accurately condition people's expectations. And I'm not entirely sure why expecting a review to happen in less than two years, three months, and to be delivered when it, they said it was going to be delivered was failing to meet that. But I, they may be talking about an element of which I've not seen. So I, I, my apologies. There's some information I've got, so I'm waiting to see what you say, and then I'll see if I can have my bit in which I've read. So let's you keep going. Oh, good. Okay. Okay. So the, there are. there's also the fact that I think there is an issue that the – um, Senko de practice did create expectation that things would be able to be delivered, and what they did was set up an undeliverable system. Yes. <laughs> I, think I think there is an element of yeah. that going on because it's not deliverable for anybody as far as I can see. The third thing that they were saying was that the send review will be a huge overhaul of the system. Yes. That this is not going to be a little tweak, it's going to be a major overhaul. Yes. So watch this space. I'm sure Dale will find somebody fantastic and closer to it than I am to talk to you about it. I've, al I've it already got come. something lined up for, because um, it's supposed to be due out. Spring. End by the end of March, because it's Q1. Mm. And um, so mm. um, the plan is we'll have Lorraine Peterson is going to be recording something for us in beginning of may which we'll put out kind of going over this is still only draft and public consultations happening mm. but kind of summarizing gives a big review so that will we, we will have that it'll be free via b squared and we'll mention it on the podcast and stuff but that will be coming out in may because it's huge it is going to be huge mm. It will be enormous. So they're producing eventually the review and they're going to do that alongside a green paper and just in case there are those of you out there who might not know dear listener um, a green paper is basically a set of proposals so it's an idea yep. they're coming out with this is what the issue is and this is what we think we might do to solve that issue at that time there will be a consultation yep now i know these things are boring as all hell i know you're overwhelmed i know it's probably the last thing on your list of things to do to think oh yes i must contribute to the government consultation on the send review but if you're involved in send at all and you're at all cross about the way that it isn't working right now and i appreciate that that's probably most of you that's yep. <laughs> probably all, all all three of our listeners will will love that it's worth you putting your views in because if you don't put your views in it's entirely possible that they won't capture your perspective definitely so please if you can do contribute and if you want to find other ways of doing it recording it on your phone and then getting it transcribed do that you don't have to do it in complicated words it matters. And if you get a chance to be part of a parent forum that will contribute to it, then do it that way because they'll be capturing that and they can do it for whole groups of people. So that's worth doing. And there are some really good parent care forums around the country. Yeah. They exist to support you and to share your, your voice. So please do that. The fourth thing I wanted to touch on was that the department currently working with 49 councils to try and improve the SEND system. That is by no means all of the councils at all. There are large parts of the country that aren't even being covered in that. And they've currently taken over the running of Birmingham County Council because the way that that was running was so poor. So there is a lot of work that people are trying to do. Yep. And I think it's very easy to criticise a system that's not working. And I think there is a point at trying to recognise that there are people within each of those systems who are trying really hard yes. to make a difficult system work. So 
however cross you are, please don't shout yep. <laughs> to start. Because you don't know if you're talking to somebody who's actually going to be a pain in the ass or somebody who's been working till three o'clock in the morning to try and make something better in a difficult situation. Definitely. You just don't know. So try and be kind if all else fails, yep. however cross you are. And the final thing just to touch on is that they've announced 2.6 billion 2.6 billion pounds investment into creating new building program for schools. Now, that's going to be mainly mainstream units, but it is going to include some special units because one of the big issues that we have had with the Centre View is that there isn't adequate provision available for children to go into. Yes. So that's been described as a first piece, air quotes, to help resolve some of that issue. Um, so... so Potentially a good step. So what I've heard, and again, if you join all the dots together, so over half the authorities, I can't remember the exact percentage, my head it's 57, but I can't remember, over half authorities who've been inspected under the new current SND code of practice have failed. Yep. 95% of tribunals are successful. Yep. So what I basically, squinting very heavily, is basically one can common factor I see is money. Local authorities do not have the money to put the resources in to do this. The local authorities do not have the funding to meet all those pupils' needs. So they cannot, I would say, again, it's one of these, it's, it's horrible for the family, but they cannot just go, yeah, we'll give you the money so we don't have it. They have to be taken to court to be able to give the money. And all these authorities are well into the red with their SEM budget. The reason I've heard the SEND, I think it was an interview with a minister or someone involved, that this review is taking so long is because they keep going to the Treasury with a request for money and the Treasury are going, no, and they keep going back because they know for, to be able to make this happen, it's going to take so much more money and that they've been mm. going and going until they've got the money. Whether they've got all the money, I doubt it. But I think that I'm hoping as part of this, we're going to hear about a huge funding increase. So when the government says you need to do this and this is what you have to do, people actually have the money and the resources to be able to deliver it. So that is my understanding of why it's taken so long. It's not been the indication. It's them going to Treasury going, we have to deliver this. This is the bill. And them going, no. And then sort of going, well, it's going to cost you that anyway, but probably a bit more with all the tribunal costs. But either way, this is, it's been that battle. That's what I've read and heard. That's part of the reason. So I'm personally taking that going, that sounds very positive. And that's why it's going to be a big overhaul, because rather than it, it is a recommendation, it hopefully a bit more legal footing on it has to be done without all the fighting. And I'm really hoping, really hoping. There's going to be things like Senko protected time, Senko workload stuff. Because over Christmas, where a lot of teachers do get time off, I just, on my Senko group, going, just got an email. I've got this paperwork to do. I've just got this email. I've got this paperwork. I've got this to do. The Senko is a 52-week-a-year job. Throughout the summer, they're getting emails going, you've got this and you've got this time frame to do this. It's, it needs to be, that role needs to be put on a pedestal. It needs to be rewarded. It needs to be respected. And actually, I'd go further than that. I think it 
must be part of the senior leadership team at the very highest level of the school. And just what- because one of the issues that we have, sorry, can I just finish this thought? One of the issues that we have is that if we had properly inclusive schools across the board, we would have far fewer people feeling that they needed to apply for an education, health and care plan to get what, in a lot of cases, they should not need to have in order to be educated effectively. And my daughter's a really good case in point. I know she's now 22, but she's would have been perfectly able to have managed without an education, health and care plan if she had been adequately supported. And it would not have taken an education, health and care plan until her problems escalated to such a degree that that was the only solution for her. And a lot of children who are currently having to get that is because it's the only way yep. they're getting anything. So one of the things which I'd not heard, but the misunderstanding of the Senko should be part of the senior leader. So some people take that as they have to be the assistant head or the deputy head. So no, you have the head, you have an assistant, you have deputies and the Senko. The Senko is seen as the same level as an assistant head or a deputy head. It's not they should be a deputy head and then additional responsibilities because they're deputy head and the Senko. No, the Senko as a role is part of the senior leadership team. I don't know if you there are issues about it. making sure that it makes sense. So the, the you can have senkos who sit on the senior leadership team but don't have the clout to be able to do the work because they don't have the assistant head or deputy head label. Yep. So for me, I think there's something about them having existing at the highest possible level without additional responsibilities. Yep. And still being at that high level. With the clout. Because I think if we have properly inclusive schools, which is difficult to do, I'm not suggesting for one second that it's easy, but I think we really need to put time and attention into working out how to do this best so that we can make it happen. Because we're ending up with children who are falling out unnecessarily and who are finding things much harder than they need to. And they're harder to teach because they're not being supported adequately. And they're not learning because they're not being supported adequately. And we're not making the systems that support our senkos and our teachers simple enough to support them adequately so that it's doable. Yes. And I think you can make schools inclusive if you remove pressure from local authorities and the league tables. I'm, I'm quite happy with Ofsted these days. I'm quite happy with their way of doing things. They, I feel they're a lot more inclusive. They're a lot more supportive. They don't want to look at your data. They want to know what your data tells you. Your results aren't a glass ceiling anymore. But the league tables and the local authorities who, who put league tables in the local authority with your 15th out of 17 schools, that's not good enough. Mm. That's a bit that's not helping. Those pressures, the, the academic-based pressures people are being put under that is what is preventing schools from becoming inclusive because they are being pressured with uh, progress eight scores and whatever sats results scores and they have to achieve this and that's the pressure and that's what they go for that's what they're chasing and they sometimes completely miss the legal requirements around sen in favor of the league tables because that's what the local authority is pushing because generally, the primary yeah. team, the secondary improvement team, is more powerful, has more clout in the local authority than the centre. I agree. And I think one of the frustrations is that it is 
it shouldn't be necessary and that we can have legal requirements for schools and local authorities to do things, but they aren't happening. And if there is no way of making anybody live up to their legal responsibilities, it doesn't happen. We have to measure. What gets measured gets done. So if you're measuring league tables, then league tables of results will be what gets done. If you're measuring inclusion, then inclusion will be what gets done. If you're measuring the delivery of a legal responsibility, then delivering a legal responsibility will get done. At the moment, the system is set up to force parents to take local authorities to court because what is actually legally required for them to be delivered is A, undeliverable in the first place, and B, is not being delivered. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's not good for anybody. No. But on the plus side, Ooh, I like a plus side to there, may be, there may be the opportunity for something to change. I have a concern that I think there's an advisory panel that doesn't seem to include any parents don't quite understand how or not at a sufficient level but so if you the plus thing is because it's a consultative position you have the opportunity now whoever you are wherever you sit in the system to make a difference yeah. please use it definitely please use your voice it is one of the things we we as a company we often put our views into these consultations and often at the end of the consultation they produce a document don't they? They often produce, and then they give a list. Yeah. And sometimes that list is shockingly quite short. So please make that list extremely long. Get everyone's point of view because it really will matter. Here's an idea. I know. I think we should make it more fun. I think we should do consultations either filmed in interpretive dance or sung to the tune of take your pick, whatever you whatever you fancy. I'm glad you're doing that podcast. We'll get the video camera set up for you, Sarah Jane, and off <laughs> you go. I'm, I'm not a very interpretive dance sort of person. <laughs> <laughs> but if you seriously, if you have any way of feeding back, then feedback in whatever way makes sense. And I think there is nothing wrong with it being not words. And we're very bad at not including people who don't do well in words so let's try and find other ways of doing it and making sure those voices are heard too that's gonna be interesting they always have the equalities bit in there don't they mm-hmm. so uh, it'll be interesting to uh, actually sit there and go so we have to use this this form to fill in the information not quite sure that meets the equalities out within sem be interesting but yes no let's end on a high let's be very positive for this uh new code of practice a public consultation that's going to be released shortly and let's be very positive and if it's not quite where we want it to go let's tell them where we want it to be absolutely yeah i I find it interesting because we work in scotland england and wales very different education systems scottish is very much local authority driven no academies no governors which is quite interesting but quite still hierarchical from the local authority driven organized group work together and what i found amazing is we were in one school and they're like we can't do the training we're going to go to this school they went to that school and they all just logged in because it's all kind of one big system and that was just <laughs> made like they actually went from the special school into the giant secondary school walks into the big ict room they all just logged in they were like wow that just made life easy didn't it so and wales are bringing in so we have ehcps in wales they're bringing in idps with a brand new curriculum wales and it's really interesting looking at how each country is changing their focus. And in every in mm. England, Scotland, and Wales, we're moving away 
from hammering data. Scotland don't really do data. They have PEF, pupil equity funding, which is our same as our pupil premium. So they have graphing and closing that gap. Mm -hmm. And in Wales, they have pupil deprivation grant, which is also pupil. So they have that. But outside of that, they want to know, you said a child can do this. What does that look like? Show me. Show me the evidence. Yeah. They're moving away from data, which is, I think, really good. Data is needed, but it's part of the process, not the process. Yeah, I'm, I'm very positive about this. I'm always very optimistic and I'll read the report and hopefully I'll be quite happy, but I'm not a parent going through it. I, I'm mm. going to, I'm an external, I'm, my emotions won't be there. It'll be very interesting to talk to my sister who's in the middle of tribunals, in the middle of various other things, her reaction. Because I think it will be a very emotional reaction for parents to this document. Because either it means they wouldn't, no, we won't need to fight, or they're going to still have to fight because nothing's changing. It's going to be a very interesting um, reaction, I think, from parents. I think my worry is that they will be too tired to care, mm. too exhausted yeah. to care. And that's not because it's not important. It also reflects a lack of belief that it will make a difference. Yeah. And also where we are, it's in 2022, we have to have the public consultation. That then has to be reviewed. Those changes have to go in if they listen. Then it has to go to Parliament and the Queen. And then it becomes legal. It's still two years away for this to be fully coming in. Hmm. But it's going to tell us where we're going and people can get ready and systems can get ready and people can get prepared and people can start taking things on. It will still come back to when's the money coming in. That's going to be the big factor, but that is going to be what we are looking for. That money is going to be unlocking things. And if that's the reason it's been delayed and it has been approved and life is going to get better, great. Sooner the better. But hey, Dale, there was that magic money tree that suddenly appeared for COVID. So maybe we should just be shaking that magic money tree. Just go around some of those warehouses or shipping containers in those things and see if it's in, money's in those containers. Let's not start. <laughs> so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it here because we have been talking and I can, I can talk with you for hours. Um, oh, good, because I am today. I will be talking to other podcasts. Um, so that's great. <laughs> but no, it's really dry. And um I'm just happy that we've had chance to thank all the speakers and thank the listeners and say I've met some of you um, and thank that all those people who've come in and talked. And think, as you talked about things that you've made a difference, I think that, oh, oh, I did a podcast on that. Oh, and I talked to that person mm. about that. Oh, yeah, that's big. And there is, there are so many topics. And um, Spotify do that, your year thing. I didn't use, you're a Spotify user. Yeah. This is your year. I did it for the podcast. And it was quite interesting that some people who found us recently went back to the beginning, have listened to every episode. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. So, uh, yeah, and it gives you how many hours have been listened to, and it's just phenomenal. So thank you to everyone who listens. Thank you to all our guests. Thank you to all our speakers. And just thank you to everyone who's involved with the podcast. That's you, Beverly, my marketing team here at B Squared, producers, the editors, the social media people, everyone who's making this happen. Because when we got this award, 
and it is sitting here with me because I'm the main point. It's me. Um, it's not me. It's not me. Yeah, I, I'm the bowsprit of the boat. I'm the. I'm not the pretty thing on the front. Obviously not. Um, <laughs> I'm the gargoyle on the edge of the building. I'm. Thanks for that laugh, there, Sarah Jane. Yeah, don't really, take that any further. Um, <laughs> Let's stop that image now, Dale. <laughs> I didn't say what I was wearing. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm the front piece. But there is an army of amazing people who make the podcast happen. So that award is to everyone who is involved with the podcast. So, and on behalf of our listener, can I just say thank you for doing for providing free information in these days where you feel that sometimes you have to pay for everything. This is free at the point of access. Oh so yeah, it makes sense. Thank you on behalf of our listener. You're welcome. You say listener. There's not. There's more than one. There's been seventy thousand listens. If it's good enough for Radio 4, they say, um, thank you to our Christ, they say thank you to our listener. So it's good enough for okay, us. I'll, okay, I'll accept that. I'll accept that. So, yeah, thank you for coming along, Sarah Jane. Thank you for the last two years. It's been. Lordy. And if you haven't subscribed already, if you've somehow found this two year episode mark and uh, gone, oh, this is the first one, go to the website, which is www.thesendcast.com, and you'll find a link to all the different subscription platforms at some point. Podcasts can come on Facebook in the UK. You can listen to us live through Facebook. We're already set up, so the moment it's turned on, we're going to be there. So that's great. On social media, we're all over it. We're on Twitter at the Sendcast, on Facebook the Sendcast, on Instagram the Sendcast. So you can hashtag us, you can mention us, you can do all of that. And please share your thoughts, share your favourite episode, share if you think I'd be a great bowsprit on a boat or not. Because Sarah Jane obviously didn't like that thought. Thanks, Sarah Jane. Don't share that. Please don't share that. You'll get us banned. No, no. <laughs> Somebody's got my tutu somewhere. That's a okay. very different TSSEN show, but someone has that somewhere. But that's a whole different story, which our speech and language link know about. Um, so if you listen to us through iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review and let others know what you think. And before we go, I'd just like to remind you to check out the Training for Education website. You'll find a number of the guests on the Sendcast are speakers at our virtual Send conferences. You've been, haven't you, Sarah Jane? You've, you've given us a session. I have. And Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND. It's not free, like the podcast, but it is our speakers on the podcast delivering 45, 50-minute sessions on a specific topic. And what's great is you each conference is 12 sessions. It's £60 per conference. So you're getting about 12 hours reusable cpd for every member of staff for 60 pounds for the entire school it makes so much sense we can't do it free we're going to pay people we do all that but we make it as cheap and as affordable as we can so you can visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information and as an exclusive gift to all our sendcast listeners you can get a 10 percent discount on the virtual send conference future or past by using the code sendcast10 so thank you for listening for the last two years. If you're new, thank you for listening. Go back, have a look, listen to some of those amazing episodes we've mentioned. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Sendcast. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Bye, everyone. Bye.